What is up, everybody? This is the Finding Extraordinary Podcast, and uh, I've got amazing guests on today. Um, first of all, I have the co-founders of She Changes Everything, Heather Young, Jennifer Klotz, and then I've also got a health and wellness and nutrition just mastermind fitness coach. Uh, this is Alex Rortgen. And uh, guys, what did we talk about today on the podcast? What were some of the aha moments? I you was- should like what you're eating. Yeah, it'll change your life if you it'll like what you're your eating. Mm-hmm. You should move more. That'll change your life. Mm-hmm. Listen to your body. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, be your mm-hmm. own health advocate. Yeah, the big one, be your own health advocate. No one else is going to fight for you the same way that you'll fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. Try information on and see if it works for you. Yeah. And if something's not working, pitch it. it. <laughs> yep. Get rid of it. You just heard from Jennifer Klotz, Heather Young, and Alex Rodigan. Jennifer Klotz has her master's of science. She is a registered dietitian as well as a licensed dietitian nutritionist. She also is a nutritional therapist. Heather Young is a certified yoga therapist, a registered yoga teacher with over 500 hours of training. And Alex Rortigan, one of my best friends, is a national board certified health and wellness coach with training in functional medicine He also has his practitioner license in neuro-linguistic programming. First off, Jennifer and Heather have co-founded an organization called She Changes Everything. This organization is dedicated to changing how women do wellness. They also run a one-day wellness conference called She Day. It's all about women and inspiring them to take their health to the next level all while giving back and supporting women. I'm telling you, you should look into this. Go on to their website, shechangeseverything.com, and look into their next event. It's going to be in November 2020. It's going to be in Oak Park, California. They're excited. You should be excited too. Um, I, I can't recommend this for you enough. Now, in this episode, we talk about all types of things. We talk about how to get over your fear of speaking, uh, get over your your voice if you have issues with your voice, and then understanding that if you just learned something and you didn't know that, well, guess what? Other people might not know that too, so it might benefit them for you to tell them. Then we get into understanding where your foods come from. We talk about the carnivore diet. Uh, we talk about you are not what you eat you are what you absorb. Then Jennifer talks about how to do a digestion test. We also talk about how the microbiome biome changes with the seasons. We talk about a food variety that is based on kids, or I'm sorry, a food variety study that is based on kids. Um, then we get into how our society has an epidemic of scared eaters. Literally, people who are scared to eat because they are on one extreme of a diet or the other. We also talk about health documentaries, what to believe from them, how to become more aware at the in, of the information that you're receiving, and to analyze that. Jennifer also talks about how she really believes in how you feel is the ultimate trump card in any diet that you are doing. We talk about how to get excited about going to the grocery store. We get into the keto diet. We talk about how light 
and circadian rhythm is extremely important to the total functionality for your body. We talk about the vegan diet, and finally, we get into books and mentors. Okay, I know that was a lot, and this episode is just packed with awesome information and great conversation. I don't want to let you wait any longer. Let's get it started. Here we go. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Guys, welcome to the Finding Extraordinary podcast. I've got Jennifer Klotz, Heather Young, and Alex Fortigan. Uh, welcome to the pod, guys. I think we're going to have an awesome conversation that definitely revolves around health and uh, just healthy living and you know being extraordinary. Uh, if you all want to introduce yourselves, kind of tell who you are, I think that would be the best. Sure. Who wants to uh, ladies start? Ladies You're ladies talking. Ladies okay. So I'm Jennifer Klutz. I am a registered dietitian with a master's in nutrition and wellness. And I really focus on the functional side of nutrition and wellness, which basically means taking into account the whole person. So mind, body, soul, and not just focusing on only one little piece that could be affecting their health, but all of those factors coming together to cause maybe dysfunction going on and not just focusing only on food. And so that's my, I'm passionate about looking at someone's whole life and saying, how can we help you feel better in the context of what your everyday life looks like? not what my everyday life looks like. I'm not putting my life on you. I'm helping you live your best life and make little changes that could make all the difference for you going out and making a huge impact on the world because your health isn't holding you back anymore. So that's a little bit about me. I love that. I'm her sister, Heather Young. I'm actually a registered yoga therapist. And everybody understands this idea of starving nutritionally. I feel like as a culture in the 21st century, we're also starving movement-wise. We take away our body's ability to move and be strong and thrive the way that it's meant to. And that's my passion. Um, I started with yoga, but quickly graduated into this idea of movement as a whole because people don't realize how bad they feel until mm -hmm. they feel different and they understand what it's like to live in an open, strong, vibrant body. And I have the same passion and mission that Jennifer does is we don't want your health to hold you back from living your life that makes an impact on the world. So we want to try to make it simple and achievable to feel good in your body. Mm -hmm. Wow. Alex? Uh, so my name is Alex Rickin. Um, I'm a certified uh, functional medicine health coach. I'm also a certified neuro-linguistic programmer. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just really passionate about uh, everything that has to do with health and wellness. Um, I, I consider myself like just a geek when it comes to that. Um, I, I agree with, I mean, everything that they said. Um, like Jennifer was literally, I, I felt like I was listening to myself. Like I'm really, <laughs> I'm really into the whole functional side too. And and really getting down to like the root cause of everything so that people can live um, up to their genetic potential, like helping people thrive and, and live a long life um, 
free of disease or any problems, like making the most out of out of life, like literally living to 100 years and then just and just dropping of old age. Like that's what I'm all about. Like I don't want to see somebody live 100 years and spend the last 40 40 years of their lives like just struggling to get through every day or being mm-hmm. kept alive by um, pharmaceuticals and other like procedures. So I'm all about literally just learning how to, to live your best life and to really thrive. Cool. Mm-hmm. So what, what I really like about all three of you is that you've got to this point where you really want to serve others and you want to do that in a medical and health standpoint. Now, I feel like there's things that have happened in everyone's life that got you there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, being sisters, I'm sure you know a lot about each other and there's certain moments that are profound in, while you were growing up. So why don't you share a little something about yourselves that kind of steer the direction to your thought process and your mindset to how you think and how you want to serve others now. Mm-hmm. So I have this picture on my desktop and it's of me covered head to toe in a sweater and a hat and a scarf, like no skin really showing. And for me, that was a really profound moment in my wellness journey because I had become allergic to the sun. And I was, yeah, I was on the beach. It was 85 degree day. And obviously you're getting weird looks, but I was not going to stay inside where it was quote unquote safe. I wanted to be outside. And I always tell people if someone is doing something what you, that you consider weird, take a step back and, and actually evaluate it and understand that potentially that person has a sense of resilience within them, that they're willing to go out there and be weird because they're still trying to be in the world and not hidden from the world. And I think that's why I show up and we do what, we, what our business is, which is She Changes Everything, because our mission is for women to become advocates for their own health. So my journey was me not advocating the way that I knew I should have for my own health. So in my late 20s, my wisdom teeth grew in randomly. And I truly believe it's because at that point, in my life, I had started to really take care of myself. I loved what I was doing. I was settled um, and just thriving. And my wisdom teeth randomly grew in. And I had to get them out. They're, they just wouldn't fit in my mouth. So I had to get them out. And so I went and had my meeting with the orthopedic, uh, with the surgeon that was going to do it. And he walked in. He slammed the x-ray on, on the wall. And I still remember it. And he just said, they need to come out. And I was like, well, yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, he's like, it's going to be super. It's simple, easy, you know, 20 minutes. You won't even miss work. If you come in on a Friday, you'll be back to work on Monday, which at that point I was working crazy hours at a thriving integrative practice. And that was what I needed. I needed to be only gone on Friday and be back on Monday. And but my gut said, wow, he should not take your wisdom teeth out. That was what my gut said. My gut said he's not a nice dude legitimately my gut said wow he didn't really look at that x-ray that was really fast and wow I don't really feel comfortable with him but my logic said he's here he's in town he's the only one available and you get this done so I ended up doing it and it changed my life so needless to say I was awake for the whole thing and it took two hours to get my wisdom teeth out and he ended up putting a hole in my septum I still remember flying off the table because your septum is not numbed 
it went up through my nose, just to be really clear. The drill went through my nose. I remember flying off the table and going, oh, what was that? Because your mouth is numb. And then him being literally saying out loud, oh, shh. He knew what he did was not correct. And I just remember thinking in my head, this is going to end. This is going to end. You're going to survive this. You're going to survive this. And thinking, wow, this is taking a very, very long time. And when I finally got out of that experience, my mom was my ride. And I still remember walking out and she was basic. My mom was a really gentle person. And she was practically yelling at the receptionist. And she was saying, I'm walking back there. There's no way that it should take this long. I need to know that she's not dead. <laughs> Literally those words. And I was like, I knew this was bad, but you're just so out of it and crazy. And so I was in there almost two hours. So it was as long in my head as I thought it was trying to survive it. And my mom literally thought I had died back there. But long story short, that turned on a firestorm in my body. It turned on basically an autoimmune process because your sinuses are your immune system. They're part of the mucous membranes. It's an integral part of preventing disease in your body. And I got a hole put into it. <laughs> Granted, it did heal eventually, but I was walking around with a hole for a very long time, and it was trauma. And trauma definitely turns on a cascade in the body that needs to be dealt with. And so with that, I became allergic to the sun. I started having migraines basically daily. I started having breaking out and having rashes all over my body. I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, literally, my body quit is how I would describe it. And so when someone looks at me and says, I think, I think I've lost myself. I think the disease is going to win. I understand that because I've experienced that moment of being like, am I going to beat this or is it going to beat me? And then I also had to, which is why we say advocate for yourself. I had to forgive myself for not listening to my gut that said he should not take your wisdom teeth out. He did not read my x-ray appropriately and my tooth had fused to my sinus. And what he thought was a quick procedure was actually something where I should have been put under. It should have been done completely differently. And instead it was not handled that way. And so hindsight's always, you know, 2020, right? Where you're like, oh, if I just done this. But that is why I, I always tell every client if you do not get a second opinion, you are potentially wrecking your life. She has a really fun line for that, actually. Yeah, I always say, no tooey, no dewey. <laughs> and I had to learn that personally. I should have gotten a second opinion. And I know potentially that second opinion would have been, hey, this is fused to your sinus. Mm -hmm. This isn't a simple procedure. We need to actually figure out how to take this out before someone goes in there and takes it out. And how old were you when, when this happened? So that was when I was 28. Okay. So that was eight years ago. Wow. And now are you still having issues with the sun? Are you still allergic? I am no longer allergic to the sun. Yay, let's have a yeah. yeah. So that was going on the healing journey that I had to learn about the human body in order to turn off what was happening and understand food even to a new level that I didn't until that moment is why we started She Changes Everything, but also why I understand it was supposed to happen because it changed how I could help people. Mm -hmm. Because I would have been doing the same old things, I would have been looking at it the same old way, and I would not have made, be able to make the impact that I can now because I had to figure out how to help myself at a level that others couldn't help me. And because of that, 
I get to give that knowledge to other people and help them so that, and say, you're not stuck. Do not stop. You know, the biggest thing that I can tell anyone who doesn't feel good is one, yeah, you don't feel good, but two, it doesn't have to stay that way. Mm -hmm. And then third, you have to build a new you. You will feel different. You won't go back to the same person that you were before. You won't be able to do the same things that you were before. You have to say no to things. But as long as you're willing to grow and evolve, you can take your life back and feel good again. And what's, what's awesome to hear from you is that this happened when you were 28 years old. Mm -hmm. You had a full life up until that moment, then everything just changes. And I feel like a lot of times people or, or some things happen to people late in life mm -hmm. and then they feel like, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, can't, can't do anything about it. But mm -hmm. you to totally took a different approach and said, well, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> how, do I, how do I change this? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. even though it was like a, a crappy situation, mm -hmm. you turn it around and now look at you. You're running conferences with your sister. <laughs> right. Nashville, Chicago, out here, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And we wouldn't have done it if that hadn't happened. Because the, the, the need within me to share what I learned was so overwhelming that I had to get over my fear of public speaking. I had to get over my fear of my voice sounding weird. I had to get over the fear that I wasn't the person that should be sharing that information. I, I, it pushed me past that to say, well, it doesn't matter because they're not learning this information in other places. Because I know I had to learn it, which means they have to learn it. And I had access to health. You know, I was in health and I still had to relearn things that I knew. So someone who's just, you know, living in Montana, they definitely are not getting access to the information that could actually change their life and move the needle for feeling better. Mm -hmm. And the important thing is she had to fight for herself too because I lived it with her. Doctors were perfectly willing to let her be allergic to the sun mm -hmm. and to put a Band-Aid on that and to say that that was her new existence. And so she lived that feeling of being left behind by a medical system that is so good in so many ways. I wanna be very clear and put this in there that we love doctors and the medical system, but there are holes and there are biases that create opportunities for people to get left behind. And I lived the same thing in my wellness journey because mm -hmm. we both have it driven into us. Um, I actually, I moved out to California, discovered yoga, fell in love with it and got the healthiest I'd ever been in my life. I was feeling good. And that was coming back from some other um, wellness issues that makes it for a long story, but I'd already fought for my health a few times. And then right in the middle of feeling great, I got bit by a spider. And the spider had Lyme and multiple co-infections, but they didn't know it nor did they test for it right away. So I spent my birthday, August 1st, in the emergency room while they were shooting me up with antibiotics and trying to stop the infection. And um, Jennifer was with me. Mm -hmm. She took the day off and she canceled her clients and she said, I'll go with you to help you know, figure out what's going on with your body. And um, so they gave me all the antibiotics. They stopped the infection to a degree, but then my body flipped. Same as her. It opened up an opportunity, like all these things coincide, where um, basically I became not allergic to the sun. <laughs> We're sisters, but our bodies responded very differently to immune events. Um, I became allergic to the clothes I was wearing. No way. So, yeah. yes, it's crazy nuts. ridiculous. Wow. Like, a, most people don't know this, but 60 crawling up to 70, 80% of the clothes we wear are synthetic fibers. And synthetic fibers are a petroleum oil 
plastic derivative, which for a normal human is fine, but for someone who's super sensitive and whose body's just like, I can't anymore, there's too much it. going on in my body, it, it literally was like, I don't like this, and I would break out in full body rashes. Extremely painful, kind of like chicken pox L like times lesions. 10. Like she's making it tame. Like yeah. She would want to rip her skin off. And it took a long time to figure out it wasn't food. Yeah. Because we went down the we road of saying, it's got to be what you're eating. And it wasn't. It was, to a degree, some food things, but mostly the clothes I was wearing. Mm -hmm. And so then that she changes everything that she stands for, sustainable, healthy, ethical, where it combines these ideas of asking deeper questions for better answers. Mm -hmm. And it was um, looking into, well, why are these clothes making me break out? It's because of what they're made of and because my body doesn't like it. But... The important thing in that journey was that initially they told me I had cancer or had to go see specialists to find out why my body was having such a radical immune response. I don't think that's a word you should throw around lightly and right. tell someone that they have. Mm. Yeah. And then when they couldn't figure it out, mm. they were content to give me acid blockers and different um, antihistamines for, for the rest of it, yeah. which antihistamines make you sleepy. Yeah. So that's Correct. living a checked out life. No chance at an impact. Mm -hmm. And so, again, with Jennifer, it was this moment where you have to say, my answer is no, this is not an acceptable outcome to me. I'm going to start Googling and opening up books and figuring out what can I do to take the immune load off my body that helps it heal one day at a time. And it's never immediate, but it always does happen if you give it time and space. Mm -hmm. And so um, when, we, when we meet women, we meet people, it's just, there's this deep place of a lot of people at times, people will have something going on or, you know, not feel their best. And we just, we want to cheer them on and say, we know what it feels like to be broken. And we know what it feels like not to have answers. And we know that you can climb back. Your body was made to heal. Wow. That is so amazing. Mm -hmm. Two like unbelievable things that, that happened to you and shouldn't, technically have happened right like yeah, you, you can't know, control it, that yeah, you can't run around and say i'll make sure i never get bit by a spider it bit me in the middle of the night right exactly How yeah yeah i was told at 16 my wisdom teeth would never grow in you don't yeah. need to get them out and ever i can empathize and i'm sure a lot of the listeners can empathize that yeah when your wisdom teeth start to grow into your other teeth it hurts oh it's <laughs> bad it's not good i had to get them out i had to get them out yeah, yeah. so you know um wow it's like it shouldn't have happened but it's almost great that those two moments happened and mm -hmm. now look what you're doing you're just mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. being extraordinary and helping others out it's incredible mm -hmm. um i want to turn over to alex i know you have an absolutely incredible background that is um you know taking you from studying one thing in college to you know just obsessing with health so why don't you kind of speak on that yeah so i guess um unlike their stories like mine actually didn't really have to do with with my own health um i've been fortunate to to be pretty healthy like my entire life um i will throw in though that there was a period like in my early 20s um like i was really big into sports i ran uh collegiately um and i started putting things together like about just like nutrition what i was feeding my body how mm -hmm. my body would respond um so like that, like intuitively, like I just started eating like a lot more like vegetables, cutting out things. Like at, at that time I was living in New York, I was working in a pizzeria and I was eating, before that I was eating Delicious. pizza, pasta, yeah. bread, every meal of the day. Right. And yeah. it's funny because I feel like I've always been pretty intuitive and mm -hmm. I tell people these stories and sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy. It's like, I don't really have, I don't remember my dreams too often. Mm -hmm. 
but when I was in my early 20s, so first off, growing up, actually, one of my childhood best friend's father had MS. Mm. And then in my early 20s, when I was living this lifestyle, I was eating pizza, pasta, just all Italian food all day long. I had dreams constantly where I couldn't walk. And mm. I was always pulling my body like with my hands. Wow. And I, I'm not even kidding. I don't have, I don't have those dreams anymore. And it, it sounds crazy, but it's like I started cutting out, radically changed my diet. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had mm. one of those dreams in probably like 10 years. Huh. And... I, that's, that's interesting. It, yeah, it, it literally, and I don't know, I still think about it all the time. Like, why, mm-hmm. like, was my, my body telling me, like, was, I need to get in order or this is my future? Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't know. Change something. But, I mean, for me, I guess, like, health and wellness is always, like, so when I was 10 years old, my father had a heart attack. Um, and I pretty much for 20 years, 21 years, watched his health just steadily deteriorate like he never got never got better mm-hmm. and like like uh heather said like i i think that doctors really um intend to help people i really mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. I, I think that our medical model though is more set up for it's acute care where it's like yes. you go in you need a surgery and exactly you, you they take out whatever needs to yep. and then you and you go yep. on your way but it's not set up for like long-term like chronic like prevention correct like it's not a preventive health care and I basically watched my dad for 20 years just never get better. Comes home, he's got five new prescriptions. Um, he's going to doctors a couple times a week. And he he would buy everything they would say, but they would never talk about like just like things like his lifestyle. Like what, mm-hmm. what was he doing? What was he eating? Mm-hmm. That was never addressed. Um, so for me, like, and then also I, I guess too, so my younger brother had lymphoma. And it was a similar, that's actually when I, this was like six years actually, Thanksgiving will be six years. Um, it was when I first actually moved out to California and it was like six months until we moved out here. I moved here with my brother and he had found out that he had, his lymph nodes were swollen and he ended up going back to New York for like over a full year to deal with like chemo. Mm-hmm. And I really got into alternative health at the time because like I just... Mm-hmm. I, I believe that our body has innate wisdom. It's like either mm-hmm. you take out what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, you get out of your own body's way and allow it to heal itself. You stop doing the things that are causing the problem, mm-hmm. um, or, or sometimes you have to add a little things in to, to boost your to boost your body's capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so I really got into like uh, Ayurveda, um, and then I also got into like traditional Chinese medicine. I started reading like everything about that, and then I was like like these Eastern. Um, health like like these guys been around for thousands of years and they'll treat all these symptoms without pharmaceuticals and this and that and i started that actually brought me um into functional medicine mm-hmm. so when i started i was like oh wow so functional medicine was kind of like our version of of those eastern philosophies mm-hmm. and i like it, i like how it incorporates all of it like mm-hmm. like if if you need a prescription They'll, they'll give you the prescription. Yeah, They're yeah. not against that. Correct. It's about incorporating all options. All of them. Mm-hmm. And it's really about like getting to the root. Mm-hmm. So like what caused my, my father's like heart disease, um, it probably for like he had a pretty bad diet. But I felt like he was never really given a chance to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it kind of just spiraled. And yeah, I just think that I look back now on different things the more I learn and 
it kind of like blows my mind that all the all the stuff that's coming out nowadays, how what like what went wrong, what could have been different, and uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have any degree. I'm not probably qualified to speak a lot of this, but I I'm a sponge. And I love learning about this stuff, especially like when it comes to like the holistic healthcare and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. to just seeing the way I feel like. Our, our medical system has to change and, and we need to really get back to like taking everything in, healing your body um, mm-hmm. alternatively, like giving it back its mm-hmm. innate ability to just like, mm-hmm. heal itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's super interesting. And, you know, um, just knowing you, I, I, I do feel that you are qualified to talk on a lot of this. You've, you've put in the work, you've studied. Um, you got your certification to be a functional training, health and wellness uh, teacher and, and coach. So I would say that, yeah, you you definitely have the right to speak on, on all of this. Um, my my story in health, mm-hmm. it's my mine's probably not as I don't have like a, a crazy moment that I can bring up. But um, I've had three shoulder surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um one was super uncommon. My nerve was pinched and the doctors had to uh, peel off my back scapula because my back scapula literally was not working. Wow. Yeah. So That's no small thing. And at the time I was playing college baseball. So okay. it was like, um, first of all, I, I couldn't throw a baseball. That yeah. was weird. And then I then went to, I couldn't hold a gallon of milk. Mm. It was very, very scary. And yeah. Um, but... Even before that, I think it goes back to education of our parents. So my parents grew up in the Midwest, and yet, see, you're like smiling. Ours did too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So my parents grew up in the Midwest, and uh, you know, in the uh, like '60s and '70s, they were they were growing up, they were learning all of the health information that was provided by the government. Mm-hmm. Now, neither of them are in the medical field or medical industry. Mm-hmm. So they just knew the information that was provided to them. Right. And they were trying to do the best they can. So that's right. why I have absolutely no remorse towards my parents. <laughs> no. I've got, it's uh, important. You know, yeah. I, I can't, I can't blame them for, no. for anything. They were literally, and they have always tried to do their best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, growing up in sports, I, I gave a ton of effort mm-hmm. always Always. It was like effort, effort, effort. That's what was always uh, instilled in me, and that's what I put out. Right. But I wasn't performing the way I knew I could, and mm. I didn't know why. It wasn't It wasn't my genetics. It wasn't <laughs> It wasn't the fact that I wasn't trying hard enough. It uh-huh. was just like, what the hell is going on? My body's just not going fast enough. Going there, yeah. So I started to, to learn more about health and, you know, learn about uh, what – sugar does to you what certain carbohydrates do to you mm-hmm. and then like what to do after a workout or before a workout mm-hmm. stretching all of that right all the stuff that i didn't learn until i, w- I was either a senior in high school or, or uh-huh. afterwards yeah and even while i was in high school and in college playing baseball being an athlete i didn't know the effects that sugar had on the body mm-hmm. and i saw what the health or I'm sorry, not with the health. I saw Fed Up, which is actually mm-hmm. probably the only health documentary that I would recommend for people to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I was so fucking pissed yeah. because I learned what the government did. Mm-hmm. I learned what uh, marketing agencies did to promote items that had high sugar, but they lowered the calories, they lowered the fat. Yeah. So it was, quote unquote, good for you. Healthy. Yeah, and mm-hmm. again, that's stuff that my parents saw. And we're like, oh, great. This is I healthy. I can give this to Seth and he'll, he'll grow up healthy. Right. Where, in fact, that wasn't the case. Right. And... And I ended up eating that stuff, thinking I was I was going to be healthy and well. Right, and then, right. you know, my parents thinking I was going to be healthy and well. And it just wasn't the case. So, you know, um, that's why I think podcasts, uh, reading up on information, getting a second opinion, and mm-hmm. really diving into health standards and what real health is, is so important. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, especially for this conversation yeah. in particular. So kind of like with that said, what would be... In your opinion, in all three of your opinions, what would be uh, the single most important thing that people should look into for their health? So look into as far as staying healthy or if they've already lost their health? Let's go if, uh, if they've already lost their health. Let's start at ground zero. Ground zero. If they've already lost their health, they have to look into understanding where your food comes from. Right. And that's not coming from a place of perfection. If 90% of your diet is coming from a package or has an ingredient list that you're not quite sure what it means, that means your body doesn't quite know what it means either. But does that mean you have to never eat those foods? No, because in general, I think we have a health crisis in America because we're trying to make everyone obsessed with health. Right. No fun. You better never eat anything. It'll kill you if you eat it once. One cookie is never going to kill anyone, right? It's consistent cookies that will kill someone eventually. So that window of conversation to me is let's start transitioning your diet to more foods that are in their real whole state and just start with adding one. So if someone comes to me and I talk to them about their eating, the average person I see eats about two vegetables a day. And maybe, if they're rocking and rolling, two fruits a day. So in general, my first goal with them is, okay, let's get another vegetable in there. What's another color or vegetable that you like to eat that we can get in there to get you up to the five a day? And many people think the five a day is arbitrary. That's actually research-based. As far as when you look at the data, People who eat five or fruits or veg- five fruits or vegetables a day live longer, and it prevents disease. And then you get about a one percent increase for any extra fruit or vegetable you eat after that. Which- so it's not a profound, like oh, go up to twenty vegetables a day. There's no data supporting that you need twenty. There is strong data supporting you need at least between five and seven. That's where the strong data is. So and. Right now in America, 9% of people eat the recommended daily amount of vegetables and 12% eat the recommended daily amount of fruit. So, and then we're, we're arguing as to whether or not they should be becoming an expert in reading labels. Where I'm like, let's just add in what you're already missing without question, which is fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that's it. And it's so sleepy and people are, are, they fall asleep on me when I say it because they think I'm going to take something away from them or I'm going to tell them to go start running an hour or you need to be cooking every meal from scratch. It's so simple that people don't make sure that they do it. 
right? We only, we've got 9% hitting the vegetables and 12% hitting the fruit. And that data hasn't changed. It's not. It's still the same in 2019. We just have categories like pods of people that are they're knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. But the average person living in Montana is not eating five fruits and vegetables a day. And really quick, you keep up. You keep on bringing up Montana. Do you have something? <laughs> <laughs> it's so no, funny. My brain noticed that too. I, our brother-in-law's from Montana, oh, and yeah. it's you know you're out in nature a lot more. They're, they're not as health focused out in Montana. So I always look at it as an, I want to be able to talk to the person that's not living in LA and surrounded by health information. LA cares about health, right? It's kind of part of our language, but in Montana, it is not a part of their language. You're actually the weird person. If you go, Hey, I've started adding more fruits and vegetables into my diet. (laughs) You know, that's not a topic of conversation that's happening a lot in Montana. Are, is it changing? Yeah, because of social media, but that's why I always reference someone who isn't living in the big city or around a lot of health information, because you have to be able to reach that person, because that's where you move the needle. Got it. Okay. I have a quick question on that. Yeah. So, I, I, I love vegetables, and I, I'm all about my phytonutrient diversity. Uh-huh. I'm curious, though, for this new fad about carnivore diets. Yes. Yes. What, what, is, your, what is your take on that now? So that works for a certain subset of people because fruits and vegetables do get broken down into chemical components. And so if you have an autoimmune process going on, which many people do in carnivore, that's a big reason why they choose to do it. Autoimmunity basically is your body freaking out about things that it doesn't know how to process or handle. And food can become one of those things. So you're bringing the diet all the way down to just basically proteins without a lot of phytonutrients or what what I would call chemical compounds. So they feel better and they turn off the autoimmune process because you're removing that load from the body. So when someone responds well to that, my first thought is, okay, well now I know your body was overreacting to every single thing. And that was a major deep breath that it needed. Because you were giving it one food source, basically, one chemical compound food source that it had to figure out how to handle. And meat in general is least allergenic. So besides like rice and other foods, but as far as getting an anaphylactic reaction or becoming overly sensitive to it, meat is lower on the totem pole than any other fruit, vegetable, grain, because it has less compounds in it mm-hmm. on the chemical level. And that's why it's working well for some people, because you're turning off your body's over response to eating all of these different foods. So you can over, especially depending on what's going on with your health, you can over diversify your, your diet, but you have to look at what does the food break down into. So simply put, you're going to start hearing more about it probably in the functional world, breaking down into what's called histamines, breaking down into what's called salicylates, breaking down into amines, Science-wise, we're starting to figure out, oh, this is why people are are reacting to this category of foods more because it's breaking down into these components that genetically some people don't break down as well as compared to others. But then also if your gut wall gets holes and gaps in it, you're also getting things into places that it should never get to. So combining all that, that's why the carnivore diet is working well for some people thousand percent but will it work well for everyone no absolutely not now what about 
also about just like the quality of the meat because I mean I've heard that let's say if you ate um, like a cow that uh-huh. ate like corn or something like that uh-huh. and you're allergic to corn yes then aren't you going to have an autoimmune <laughs> response and you're still eating the meat but you're not eating the corn but the cow ate the corn mm-hmm. so depending on how sensitive you've gotten your body to yes that absolutely could happen but the bigger issue with that is on a nutritional level grass fed or how cows should be raised nutritionally you're getting more omega-3s in it you're getting more cla which is conolytic lactic acid and it's anti-inflammatory but then you're also getting vitamin d vitamin e vitamin a and so your body is getting is basically essential nutrients it needs from that meat and your body is going to process it differently. We have a lot of nutrient-devoid foods that we eat. And so you're changing the digestion process. You're changing how the body breaks it down depending on what's available to break down. So the more high-quality the meat is, the more your body is going to do better with it because there's, there's basically building blocks there, how I always explain it. You have the building blocks that your body needs in order to break that down and use it for your body to thrive. And so you always want to think about is the food I'm eating, is it giving my body a building block or is it actually making my building blocks tip over? And so the, and that's how I would simply explain it. So the quality of meat will matter depending on how compromised your digestion is. Mm. So there's, there's so many layers t- to this because I always tell my clients, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb. You could eat the perfect, most beautiful plates all day long. And this is a big thing that's happening with the vegan side of things that I see with my clients. It doesn't matter that you think you put everything you needed on that plate. If your body doesn't absorb it, you're not going to be well. So some people will get all the way down to about 20% in their digestion process. And we have massive gut issues as a population. So you're doing great, like your digestion's at top level if you're absorbing 80% of what you eat. And this is also what gets people in trouble with weight loss because they're tracking calories and they're putting that on their plate and they're not thinking about how much of that do you absorb. So then they actually put themselves into a state of starvation because you're not absorbing all of that 1,500 calorie meal at all. If you're optimal, you're, you're absorbing 18%, but on average, most people are probably at 65%. And then people who even remotely look at me and say, oh, I have gas, bloating, indigestion, chronic uh, digestive stuff, I have to run to the bathroom, you're probably looking between 20 and 50% of what you're eating is being absorbed. So what is the best test to see your absorption level? So uh, the best test is, are you having digestive symptoms? Mm -hmm. Because digestion starts at the top. So are you having heartburn? Are you having burping? Are you noticing stuff right when you eat within 20 minutes? That already tells me the top of the line where your digestion starts. Well, your, it starts in your mouth, but the second phase, already not at a good point. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then if you're complaining to me about, oh, well, after I eat, I always have to run to the bathroom, or I'm always bloated. You know, I'm eating all these great things, but I just feel like they're lead in my stomach. Like, I just feel like they're stuck there. And then it, on the next round is, are you constipated? Are, are you never having a bowel movement? That, that's your digestion not working optimally at all. You're, you're putting it in, but it's not coming out. But it's also not being broken down the way that it should. Mm, okay. So I would say as far as testing, you can. it's free. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
right? It's free. It's good. <laughs> Start with uh, analyzing. I, you know, I talk to so many people. They're like, oh, I, I feel amazing. My digestion is great. And the client's talking to me and they're burping. They're, they're, and they, they have never recognized that they burp. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, it's always the kind thing. Like, oh, that is so great. So I have a question. How often do you notice that you burp? And if someone has never processed it and then suddenly they burp and they're like, oh, my gosh, excuse me. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't bother me at all. But it does tell me a lot about your digestion. That's the only reason why I'm asking. I'm like, how often do you notice? And on average, most people are like, I don't think I burp. And then my, my challenge to them is, I want you to pay attention to how often you're noticing if you're burping. And most people come back and go, I burp after every meal. And they have never heard it, processed it, or thought about it because it's not a thing that they need to be worried about, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there's no negative association with it besides being rude, right? So if, if you're a loud burper, then they would tell me. They usually go, oh, well, if I eat you know, a heavy protein meal, I tend to notice it. Mm-hmm. But if you're like just a little bit, no, they don't notice. Or a lot of times, um, like she knows, they'll be like, oh, I'm in the best of health, amazing. And then I'm talking to them and then they'll start talking to me about their chronic back pain. Oh, it's just, it's agony for me to get out of bed. And I'm like, that's amazing that mentally you think you're in the best of health and you're, you have chronic back pain. But how I'm looking at your, that's inflammation. That's your body telling you that something's coming down the pipe and we need to figure out why are you having chronic back pain. It could be as simple as the pillow you're sleeping on, as Heather always tells me, or the position you're in. But that's not normal. But again, society-wise, we see certain symptoms as a problem and certain symptoms as just chronic, take painkiller, ignore it. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no anxiousness there. There's no anxiety with it. So, and I see that very commonly with digestion, except for with with females where they will come to me and be like, I'm bloated all the time mm-hmm. right? because they're trying to achieve a six pack or they're trying to show their stomach. So then they start to notice it because they're like, wow, I'm chronically bloated, but there is chronically bloated. And then there's the perception of, of bloating in general. When you wake up in the morning, you are going to be thinner, <laughs> lower fluids than when you end at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you're not going to maintain how your abs look from when you wake up to when you go to bed. That's, physically impossible but if you are actually having a massive bloating reaction that is a problem Got it. Okay. so i would just what i always tell my clients is start paying attention so i have people come to me with chronic headaches and more often than not i only see them once because i say well when do they happen many times they can't tell me and then they'll inform me oh they're around two actually when i think about it and i go do me a favor try and drink four glasses of water before 2 p.m and tell me if you still get the headaches. They never get a headache again as long as they're <laughs> drinking water. But again, it's perception, right? Right. What are you doing that can create this and then making sure you don't make the symptom larger than it is, but you also don't ignore it. Okay. Now, you, you started off talking about building blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Digestion. Mm-hmm. Are there five ingredients that mm-hmm. we can consume that will that work with everyone yes to help with digestion number one fiber so on average americans do not get the recommended 25 grams of fiber i think it's like 10 percent of americans it's we've got dismal numbers so in general the more you're hitting your five fruits and vegetables a day but in you're also picking more whole grains or starchy vegetables the more likely you are to hit your fiber 
-hmm. So fiber is key because that actually scrapes the lining of the digestive tract. It actually cleans you out. There's a purpose for it. But it helps to move things along. So it keeps your digestion from backing up. So the more constipated you get, the less often you're having a bowel movement, the more things are backing up on you. And what are some of your favorite fiber vegetables that you like? So uh, sweet potatoes is a great one. Right now, seasonally, sweet potatoes is a really good one. Squash is a great one. If you love pumpkin, pumpkin is actually really high in fiber, so highly recommend adding that in. And they're showing that the microbiome loves to eat seasonally, mm. right? The, the beginning data on that, showing that our microbiome actually changes based on the seasons, so you can handle more starchy vegetables, and they tend to grow in the fall, winter months versus summer, and then they tend to make you more bloated in the summer. Well, that's because your microbiome is completely shifted at that point, and it doesn't have the all the tools in the toolbox to be breaking down all that starch suddenly. That is crazy. That it's is, fascinating. That's literally the first time I've ever heard that, that seasonally your microbiome changes as well. Yes. That's Wow. And I see this as a big issue with food sensitivities, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to get people to tune into it more, where they're like, I can't eat sweet potatoes, they make me bloat, and, I, and I'm working with them in the summer, and I'm like, well, you're not supposed to be eating a sweet potato right now. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you're bloating with watermelon, then come back to me, because then we do have an overall glucose starch problem going on. And so once people tune into that, and they start eating, grabbing things that are growing within the season, it naturally... They're always emailing him back and going, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm better. Like, this is crazy. Maybe I'm not allergic to all the foods. And I'm like, you're not. Your body's just trying to tell you what it wants. So the body will tell you what it needs. So nutritionally, so like the squashes, the pumpkins, the things that are in season right now, they're higher in vitamin A and they're higher in vitamin E. And those help support the immune system. They help prevent sickness. They help prevent cold yes, and flu. Yes, when we need that, fall and winter. Right. When is the height of cold and flu season? Yeah. Winter, mm-hmm. right? So nature has given us what we need to help boost our immune system and help bolster it when it does get colder and we do tend to get sick quicker. Whereas in the summer, the fruits and vegetables that are going then, they are more high in like vitamin E, which is skin repair and you're out in the sun and it's higher in B vitamins and vitamin C. And again, it's about repair and recovery from more activity, being more in the sun and lighter. They're much lighter foods to digest because you're, you, you don't need as much. Like you don't want a heavy meal in the summer. And so when you really start to look at what nature naturally does, it does, you're like, wow, this makes so much more sense why I feel better when I'm trying to eat more like the patterns that nature does. And in general, your digestion will improve when you're putting in what it wants to be seeing around that time of the year. Wow. That is... Simple tip. (laughs) Free, right? You you can go to the grocery store and pick out seasonal fruits and vegetables. You don't have to do a test. I don't have to figure out why you're burping. Just start doing those things and you will naturally notice a difference. But the same thing that you said with your client who started burping, they weren't even aware, Mm -hmm. right? You know, for someone like me who just you know just heard this uh-huh. it's like wow i shouldn't be eating the same for the same time all year round right this yes is, that, that's awesome this is a wonderful information mm-hmm. to use yeah the big thing with mono diets is yeah they're convenient yeah you don't have to think what am i going to eat you know how to prepare it there's a convenience there but on the nutritional side then you're only ever getting the same nutrients day in day out 
But depending on what you're doing for your activity, depending on what your lifestyle is, you might need more vitamin C. And when you go to the grocery store, your body might be saying, hey, get more oranges. But you're, you're like, no, I don't want oranges right now. I'm, I'm, it's not what I do for my snack every day. I'm, I'm on apples. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's saying, no, I want oranges because you're blowing through your vitamin C. And we don't listen because it doesn't fit our plan. I, I always tell my clients, look, it sounds weird, but walk into the grocery store, turn off your mind, turn off all the food rules that everyone's telling you, and then look around, especially like in the produce section, look around with silence. What does your eyes gravitate towards? What does your body lean towards? You will be stunned. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, I picked up a leak. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what a leak was. But I was curious, like my eyeballs were on it and I just walked over there and I'm like, what is this? But apparently my body needs it. Our body, we are born intuitive eaters. Like we, when you come out of the womb, you know how to eat intuitively. You stop eating when you are full. You cry really loudly when you are hungry. It's only what we do with as we get older saying, hey, you need to clean your plate. You can't get dessert until you clean your plate. Well, you were full seven bites ago, but you've got to finish the seven bites in order to get the dessert. Mm -hmm. So we learn to go past when our body's actually full, but then we also don't get to choose our foods. So we're, we're getting food presented before us, and it's like this is what you get. This is it, which I don't have a problem with that. What's key, though, is most parents don't know, oh, I need to be changing the food choices seasonally. I need to be paying attention to when my kid runs up and says, Mommy, I want an apple, and yet I have oranges in the basket versus, oh, it's not all about just food likes, right? We we live with blinders on. Sometimes kids are asking for things because intuitively they're saying, I really need this. This is what I need. And there's studies on this, which is the coolest part, where they look at three and four-year-olds and they do the, the rule of giving them different foods to pick from and they're allowed to pick how much they eat and what they choose. And by the end of the study period, which is a year later, none of the kids that were allowed to pick and choose from what was offered to them had any nutritional deficiencies. Wow. Because innately we know what we need. That's our, our gut microbiome, it, it, there's taste buds in there. It's, it's speaking to our brain. It's telling us what we should do. It's just outside influences that really hijack that. And so that's why I'm big on when you walk into the grocery store, what is your body asking for? And most people will look at me and say, well, it's screaming at me for grapes, but grapes are too high sugar. I can't be eating those right now. I'm like, no, you need the grapes, mm-hmm. right? That You not eating the like villainizing a whole food is, you know, that's a problem. So I'm always telling, encouraging people, it's about building trust within your, yourself. Yeah. You can use outside influences. None of us are born knowing how to eat, right? We're not. And then we get our parents' information passed on to us. And our parents were not taking nutrition classes, right? There wasn't even Google for us with our parents. I give so much grace to parents because they didn't, they didn't have Google back then. They didn't. My mom's a really resourceful person. She would have been Googling half of our ailments when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. But Google didn't exist. The, new, the parent of now, there's more Google, which is why kids are having more access to good knowledge, I would say. That's right. transitioned it. But no one is born knowing how to eat. So finding good, positive influences that teach you how to trust yourself. 
with making good nutritional choices and understanding the whys behind some of the, the top things you should be doing, you will become a healthy person and you will become a confident eater. Because I would say society-wise, we have an epidemic of scared eaters. Mm -hmm. Nothing's safe right now. There's no good choice. And you're messing it up no matter what you do. And that stress alone is making food not fun. It's making food, what do I even need to eat? Or, okay, I'm just going to do shakes because, you know, great, it's easy. What, What I see in my practice day in and day out is complete confusion and food has become a burden instead of what it should be which is bringing joy and I'm, I'm all about you should be loving what you eat we're wired to enjoy food that's not a negative we're supposed to it keeps us alive we if have, we didn't love food we would die we right. have right? some friends who just had babies mm-hmm. so they've been sending us these pictures it's called milk drunk like and mm-hmm. just thinking about loving food Babies smile. Mm-hmm. They smile after they eat. They literally mm-hmm. express joy and happiness. Before they have any like cognitive outside thoughts, there's just this innate joy that comes with food, and it's pretty cool to see that at such a young, we're intuitive age. For it, yeah. Right. And we're so we're but we're being told to be scared of if we enjoy a food. So there's like there there's the question that comes up for me. Yeah. Is I love macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and as a kid, I ate a lot of macaroni and cheese. But now I've learned the, at least uh, the side effects and digestion of what cheese, what happens to cheese, mm-hmm. you know, what happens to whole grains or, or wheat. Um, and that's not, it's just not a good thing to put in the body, right? But I, my body loves it. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? So you're, you're eliminating the soul component of the food. So, and, like and, S-O-U-L? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Right. So there is a mind-body component to food. Mm-hmm. And so how I always explain it, that could be the healthiest thing for you, depending on the day and when you chose to eat it, as opposed to any salad or any perfect meal that you could ever put on your plate that you hated every bite you did it out of duty and you told yourself you couldn't have the mac and cheese when the mac and cheese could have restored you on a soul cellular level because it gave you so much peace and joy when you ate it. Okay. Are, am I telling you you should be eating mac and cheese every single day? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not because your soul doesn't need mac and cheese every single day. If you're really tuning in to learning to be an intuitive eater, you don't want mac and cheese every day. Right? But there are days where you do need mac and cheese. Right. Right? And you can still make, you can still have values with your food choice. You saying, I love mac and cheese, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go and buy Kraft mac and cheese. You can make it a whole experience. You can pick out the noodles you want to make. You can go buy raw cheese if you want to and make homemade mac and cheese. So it really is nourishing all the way around. Right. Okay. So you can make it a full on still healthy experience, but I always remind everyone play food, soul food has to be within our diet because we are wired from very young to have that. And the people that eliminate those and proclaim it as how everyone should be eating, you were not going to get very far with that approach because everyone loves a chocolate chip cookie. 
and you can choose a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie. Say you can't have gluten. There's ways for you to still enjoy things that meet your health needs without stripping the, the joy away, but understanding where they fit. Where, when do you make that choice versus when do you not? So a great example would be, I love chocolate chip cookies, but I need to be gluten-free for what I have going on in my life. So I choose gluten-free chocolate chip cookies. We usually make them, but I don't eat a chocolate chip cookie before a major big meeting or before a client where I need, know I need to be my best self, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to choose to eat that on a Saturday or a Sunday when I have more relaxation time where I don't have to be running around crazy and having real focused energy where I have more of a space where I can go eat the cookie and then go outside and sit in the sun and just relax and I don't have to be doing something. Right. Right? So picking when you choose to have these foods is also really important. But we can have that conversation once the food is allowed. Mm -hmm. Right? For most of my clients, the food is not allowed. And so they're trying to avoid, 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 and then they just end up binging on that food. And then they believe they're addicted to that food. When, in fact, they were never addicted to that food. It was just never allowed. So then it made them obsessed about that food. Wow. Okay. I, I, I think this is like a, a good segue to start talking about people who choose certain ways to eat mm-hmm. and, and certain products. And like when they're watching, we, we spoke about documentaries before we even started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, there's the new, the new one that you mentioned, Alex. What was it? Oh, there's Game Changers. Yeah, it's like oh. when, when you watch Game Changers or something that is solely... What the health. What the health, what the health yeah. You know, what are, Cowspiracy. What are your guys' opinions on, on those types of documentaries? So a good documentary is supposed to show you both sides of the argument and then you get to decide at the end. That's what documentaries yeah. started out as. And, and what that's why we trust them. And that's mm-hmm. why there is a trust there because it used to be, this is what we know. This is how both sides are presenting the information. What do you think? And now documentaries have become a place of promoting only your opinion and your thought and not even necessarily based on science. Yeah. A good question is asking um, who's telling the story. Mm-hmm. You need to know that about a documentary. And then once you, need, you know who's telling the story, you have to ask, okay, who's benefiting from the story? And then you have to ask the singular most important question is who's left out of the story. Invariably, someone or someone's opinion is. And it changes how you're able to look at that information. Definitely the case with um, Game Changers. Um, I know for a fact that it was done by James Cameron. And he's invested. He His specific goal is to own and he's invested in what he wants to be the largest operating manufacturer of plant protein. And once you have a, a monetary goal in an outcome, and then he produces a documentary that is trying to help men specifically choose a plant-based diet, then you have to ask the question, okay, who is behind it? Who benefits? That looks a little fishy. And then who's left out? Where's the information coming from? Now, with, with that being said, I don't think he's doing anything unethical. I think he's super passionate about something. He wants to... Uh, serve that passion and you know in, instill that into people which he thinks it's I, I would imagine that he thinks it's a good thing but again 
it's not both sides of the story. He's a reflection of a common mentality that's making wellness seem so hard. And it's this idea that we understand the research and the research is final. Mm. That documentary could be have been shifted just a little to say this is what we know now with the information we have. And then that kind of a humility with information of like, no, are you kidding me? We are learning so much every day. We used to think first eggs were evil, then they weren't evil, then they were evil, then they weren't evil. If you come at it from a place of saying, this is what I know now and I want you to know that this is an open conversation, that's the most ethical place to come from because then it allows for growth. You're not protecting your territory that you put a stake in the ground on with incomplete research. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. 40% 40% of all peer-reviewed research, so the cream of oh, the cream, is, is pro- later proven to be wrong. Really? Yes, and I always look at my clients and say, are you willing to gamble your health on something that could be dead wrong? Because you can do 100% compliance with something that was 40%, 40 per, like in, that in that 40% in that category of health information, which is why the Trump is always, how do you feel? Are you thriving eating this way? Do you feel good? Right. And, and most people who come to see me on either end of the spectrum where they've been paleo for years or they've been vegan for years, they don't feel good. But they've put their identity in that label. And so they have to, they have to guard it. And they have to say, no, 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 this, I just need you to help me figure out where, where I'm missing it with all these, with this way of eating and then you'll fix me. And I'm like, actually, your body's telling you that way of eating is not working. Because if it was working, you would be thriving. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if, what if someone comes up to you and says, well, I've changed this way. Of, I've changed my way of eating, and now I feel like I'm thriving. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, be ready that, to pivot. Okay. No, what, what you eat in your 20s will not serve you in your 30s. What you eat in your 30s will not serve you in your 40s. What you eat in your 40s will not serve you in your 50s. Or depending after on the a spider bite life, or after a... Well, yes, like, yeah, I was yes. going to say, even you know, on a day-to-day tre- basis. Yeah, yeah what, it can what, change instantly. What made me feel good before my wisdom teeth were in versus after, radically different. But in general, you know, are you single? What you're eating now probably will not serve you when you have kids. You have to be willing to change with your season and with what your body is telling you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and documentaries I, are like a one way to look at it. Because I think that's the big piece is rules, information, that's empowering. right? What I know and what I can help empower people to know, like how you said, wow, I had no idea about sugar. I didn't understand it. That's empowering. Super right? empowering. Super empowering. Yeah. We don't want to lose that. But what you also need to be empowered with is you don't have to be perfect with it. But secondly, you have to be willing to keep listening to your own body and building your own trust then with listening as you use these rules and these suggestions to gain confidence in your eating, right? Use them to gain confidence. Use them to understand food. But then, as I say, I'm going to shove you out of the nest and then you have to start to fly and really tune in to, okay, I've used these things to, to understand how to make a plate. I've used these things to understand that I need to give myself a snack based on, you know, understanding how I feel. Or, you know, I figured out that I really love eating celery versus carrots. My body likes that. But then continuing to hone in on that and saying, okay, I know my body does better on eating less sugar. But does that mean I have to be rigid with it? Can I still go out and, and not worry if there's some sugar in something? Or go to someone's house and they made something and I don't have to ask if there's sugar in it. So our 
is how you eat empowering you or is it making you live smaller but then also are you becoming rigid in your mindset around food and you're not willing to pivot when you need to pivot got it well all right so speaking of pivots Alex, your, your backstory made you have like a dramatic pivot and, you know, everything that happened with your father and, you know, uh, all the information that you started learning, right? So what are, what are your thoughts on, on you know, health, on, on dietary health? And also like when you watch one of these documentaries and they have a singular, a singular focus or a singular focus, a singular focus on what, on how to eat, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I agree with everything that was just said. Um, I think a, a problem with a lot of these documentaries is always an invested interest in it. Um, like, like she said, like you know, James Cameron is invested in, in plant protein. So it's, it's going to be, it's a vegan propaganda. And I think, I think some people thrive, um, on, yeah. on vegan diets. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think people, some people thrive on like carnivore diets. I think people, Tricks. And it might be for a couple of years, and then it stops. Yes. Um, a lot of times, because you can run into things like n- nutrient deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think a lot of times, like, you thrive, it's because you're adding more nutrients into your diet. But then also, I think it's a lot of times what you're cutting out. Um, like, people mm-hmm. cut out, like, processed foods, things like that. Um, but I agree. I think you just have to be very flexible. Like, I personally, I've tried... I look at my body as an experiment. Um, I'm constantly listening to my body i'm very like like intuitive and there was a period where i really dived into the hype of like like the ketogenic diet and i did it for like a solid year Mm -hmm. and that was more because actually i i'd gone into triathlons Mm -hmm. and i read a book by um jeff jeff finney and steve olick whatever it's about low low carbon becoming like fat adapted and how like just how like when in a keto adapted state like your body um you have a just a larger fuel tank and like in a in an event like that it's like you go into a fat burning mode and it's you don't have to constantly be eating like gels things like that mm-hmm. so i dived into that for a full year but do i think that that's something that somebody should do year round no i think it's that's something that could be even be seasonal and i also think mm-hmm. that it's not something that everyone should be doing mm-hmm. um i think that if like obviously if you have like metabolic issues and blood sugar dis- dysregulation that you would probably benefit from a cutting or very minimal carbs in your diet um i think you have to be like very flex flexible and you can't um you can't identify just with one eating habit and i I agree you have to like listen to your body um i also think that a lot of people they get intimidated by oh i have to cut out this out of my diet blah blah blah. um i will tell you firsthand because i like i said i grew up eating pizza pasta and all that um I rarely miss it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I do, I'll have a pizza and I was like, I haven't had it in like, a, like mm-hmm. this actually happened when I was back in New York visiting in, in September. I had first time I had pizza probably in, in years mm-hmm. and I hate it. I was like, Oh, that was it. Like mm-hmm. I, I used to mm-hmm. love this. I thought mm-hmm. it was so much better than this. Right. It's crazy. And, but because you went through that process of it was never something you couldn't eat and you wanted to be making the other choices, but it was allowed. Yeah. By the time you experience it again, you're like, oh, because you, you, there's not an obsession with it of, oh, this is the holy grail of meals. This is, this is the perfect thing to eat. You actually sat down and just ate it. Yeah. And you could taste it for what it was. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I, this isn't lighting my fire. I don't, I don't care. But most people, because of how we 
teach them about food, they don't have that neutrality when they sit down. So they're going to love it even if it tastes terrible. <laughs> yeah. Because True. you're not allowed to fully taste it because it's, you have to love pizza, right? You were, you were allowed to like it yeah. or love it. You were neutral. Yeah. Well, like, like you said too, though, it's like I, I generally like eat what I guess I consider as healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that would be up to speculation. Correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mostly a very plant-based whole food. Um, mm-hmm. I eat a lot of seafood. I love salmon. But like occasionally, I will get a craving for something. Right. And like you said, I don't deprive myself of it. It's yeah. a powerful ahead and place eat it to live. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very rare that it actually does happen. So like you said, I feel like it's my body telling me um, that I should do it. Uh-huh. And, but at the same time, I also want to say that like for those people who are like, they feel intimidated by this. I feel like a lot of times, like I think about going home and make myself the most nutritious meals. And I, I get cravings for that. Uh-huh. It's like, instead of like, Oh, I could get pizza. I could eat, um, pasta, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I get cravings for like home nutrient dense food. <laughs> yes. Like I really do. Uh-huh. And it's, it's like, over time, I guess, it's probably my microbiome, but my body's changed. And it's Correct. like things that I used to crave. Like, I literally sit sometimes, I'm thinking, I'm going to go to the Whole Foods and walk through the organic, and I'm just going to pick out all these different, like, vegetables. Uh-huh. I'm going to cook these up, and I get mm-hmm. excited thinking about it. Uh-huh. And it's like, I never used to be like that. Right. But it's to so also fun. point out, you make it fun. Yeah. So, teaching people to make eating real Whole Foods fun Pizza's fun, right? We, when we think about pizza, it's usually in front of a movie, it's with other people, or we remember being little kids and having parties. So there's fun associated with pizza. There's not fun associated with broccoli. In fact, it might be, oh my goodness, I had to sit at the table and chew it until <laughs> I could leave. My mom would never <laughs> let me leave it. You've made the same process. You've transitioned what you used to eat and made it into this new process. So whole foods are fun, enjoyable, and you want them because you actually enjoy eating that way so that's what i'm always trying to teach people if you don't enjoy eating that way you will not stay eating that way you will have a meal plan for only 12 weeks and you will go back to you know grabbing drive through doing the quick fixes because if that meal plan never transitioned into what you wanted to eat or teaching yourself how to enjoy it it's just a burden it's no fun it doesn't taste good you have to make food taste good we're wired that way so if it doesn't taste good to you, I I always tell everyone, change it. Add butter. Add some cream. Like there is a reason why our ancestors made vegetables the way that they did. They ate them. Right? We always have this, the meme that goes around, ate how your grandmother ate. Or don't eat anything that your grandmother wouldn't recognize. Well, our my grandma would not recognize broccoli without cheese on it. Uh-huh. And she eats broccoli. Like it's going out of style because she allows herself to put cheese on it. But then, yes, (laughs) and she's really, she's 85 and thriving because she eats those food categories because she made them enjoyable. And right now we have a culture of it should be salt on that or not even salt. It should be bland or, and it should be, you know, don't cook it to death because then you're losing nutrients and you're chewing through basically raw broccoli. And then you're walking around bloated and having digestive distress because broccoli is never meant to really eat raw. And then you wonder why you don't like eating healthy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. We ha- like my big thing is we have to change the thought process around healthy. Healthy can be fun. Healthy can be enjoyable. You can love it. We love how we eat too. You probably would say you love how you eat. For, is- for the most part, yeah. But sometimes 
I just I get into these modes where I get super hyper focused and I want to be disciplined and I'll take raw broccoli or <laughs> what I think is raw broccoli and dip it into like um, avocado or mm-hmm. or uh, what what is it Chick-fil-A? hummus hummus hummus, yeah. hummus and it's not that tasty to me but I'm yeah. like all right this is serving my body I'm gonna do this <laughs> no you know? no no so you won't that will not sustain you it doesn't no no you're gonna have a massive revolt mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Don't. That's not. That's not your win. Well, so raw broccoli and hummus is not your. <laughs> Can win. we say that after this podcast, that will not be your your leading choice for when you're taking yeah. care of yourself? Yeah, will not yourself. be my leading choice. I uh-huh. promise you. Uh-huh. But then I also think about other things like metabolic disease or um, or metabolic issues. And there's people who are close to me who have mm-hmm. that type of thing going on in their lives, and they're just eating bread all the time, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they think bread serves them or they really mm-hmm. enjoy it, but. It, the science shows that you keep on eating wheat, you're, you'll keep on inflaming your digestive system and your mm-hmm. your immune system, and it's not good for you. So, mm-hmm. how do you how do you change that but not be a disciplined asshole about it? <laughs> right. So start tuning into when you're eating that, because right, because sometimes it might serve you. Like, oh, this is tasty. When you're eating it, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, oh, this is cold. Oh, I don't want to be crunching right now. Just something soft would be amazing. Creamy. I just really want creamy. This is not hitting the creamy button. Mm-hmm. You have to tune in. We're, we're taught to tune out of what we're thinking in our minds. Tune in to the conversation. And when you tune in with curiosity, instead of saying whatever you're thinking is not a win, instead go, no, what am I thinking about this meal right now? Then... Next time you can say, okay, this meal didn't serve me because it was really crunchy. If I took the time to steam the broccoli and actually cook it, maybe I would still enjoy it and love it dipping it into the hummus because then it's soft. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not crunching through it. It could still be the same foods or like with the hummus, it's cold coming out of the refrigerator. You could choose to heat that up. You could choose to put it in a pan, warm it up a little bit, and then have the cooked broccoli in the warmed hummus. And then you're hitting the creamy, warm, soothing button. And it's still the same foods, but you've changed the, the whole experience for your mind and body. Mm-hmm. You're saying, oh, yeah, that's really what I wanted. Because sometimes, especially with on the raw category, many people do not tolerate raw well. And it's a fallacy that you digest raw better. That raw is harder for your body to digest. Mm-hmm. So... Unless you have robust kick-butt digestion, I tell everyone you should be cooking most of your vegetables if you want to get the most out of them without causing digestive distress. So what I would say is then ask yourself why you're making the food the way it is. Is it an external rule that you heard somewhere? Or is it, is it, it, a, is it a reason that it serves you where you're like, no, I like broccoli crunchy. I hate it cooked. Mm. Yeah, it's... It's you gotta like, kind of let that one digest a little. Yeah, yeah, no, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no, no. See, I am passionate about this, but I'm passionate about people enjoying their food. But understanding enjoying your food does not mean that you're necessarily choosing pizza or choosing these foods that we attach joy to or um, feeling good. A lot of feel what we're searching for is how those food makes makes us feel often, mm-hmm. or. And then also when we put them in the category of you're allowed to make that choice. You're not cheating. You're making a choice. You're allowed to make that choice when you need it, right? After your dad died, you were allowed to make a choice that was not a salad. 
because comfort foods are a real thing, right? Creamy cooked mac and cheese. Like mm-hmm. depending on the day, say you say you went to a meeting and it and it crashed and burned, and it was you were just like, oh my goodness, that was not what I needed, and your whole soul is like, I just need some comfort right now, and all you want is mac and cheese. For you to get past that meeting and to show up the next day, that mac and cheese could be the perfect thing for you. Okay. So choosing to look at how are the foods serving you? Are they wearing you down and you're just dreading eating? Or are you excited and thinking, ooh, what do I want to have to eat today? Ooh, I get to go to the grocery store. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to see what I'm going to pick out. This is going to be so much fun. You know, that's so funny because I, I've – haven't been to a grocery store with that mindset in a long time, but just thinking about it that way actually mm-hmm. does get me pretty excited to go. <laughs> yes! Right? That's like, awesome. I feel like that's how I've been lately, honestly. Uh-huh. I uh-huh. always I look tell. forward to uh-huh. just walking through, like, uh-huh. I mean, Whole Foods or, or just any mm-hmm. grocery store, and I'm literally like, oh, I can't wait to see what they're going to have today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, but I feel like this is a, with health professionals, because I've talked to them a lot, and we get into it, especially in the nutrition side, we get into it because we love food. Mm-hmm. right and the grocery store was exciting to us it's fun to she knows god, god if she's ever her, i'm like she jen let's go to the grocery store in the grocery store <laughs> i walk around it's it's fun to me to see what foods are there what's available and then when i finally started tuning in and listening to my clients the words associated with the grocery store from them were oh it's a chore i never have time i'm too busy oh yeah. my goodness how do you just make it not how do i not have to do it those were the comment statements I heard around it. And I'm like, they don't have the same experience with the grocery store that I do. Yeah. Right? So in general, I would say working on your mindset with the grocery store. The grocery store cannot beat you. You are beating the grocery store. There is nothing in that grocery store that can own you. That's right? I, it's not a scary place. That's so fascinating that it doesn't even – your food doesn't even start at – at when you when you consume it. It literally starts before you even walk into the grocery store. You yes. start thinking about, okay – how do I want to approach what I'm going to buy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it could change everything that you pick up. Yes. Like my usual routine, ro- uh, yeah, routine going into the grocery store is, okay, pick up broccoli, pick up onions, pick up eggs, pick up salmon. Boom. Okay. And like some chicken. That's it. That's all I'm going to have. That's <laughs> uh-huh. perfect. Serves everything that I know about my health. Yep. But that's a, seems like a chore. Seems like yep. a very disciplined way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not the awareness that I, that, or that's the only thing that I, I knew and that I, mm-hmm. that I went for. Mm-hmm. I was unaware of right. all this information that I'm just learning now or just hearing uh, again, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, it's like I, now I'm super excited to go in and be like, Hey, Maybe I you look need at, to like tag us when you have that moment uh-huh. and you walk in, you're like, you're gonna, I you're going to get white fish eggplant. instead of salmon or like. I'm going to see a watermelon and be yeah. like, you know that what? Looks that looks amazing. That's it. Yeah. You know uh-huh. what? You can be on my team. Uh-huh. But that's <laughs> it, though. That's Get in the car. Though. Get in. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, and d- turn off the food rules when you, when you see it because that's then the next piece. Many people will be like, I walked right up to a watermelon and I just gave it, it a hug. Oh, and then I started thinking about, oh, I just read on Dr. Hyman's social media post that that's a high glycemic fruit and I shouldn't be eating that. And so I put it back. No. That's me. That's, I'm yeah. that guy. Yeah. Your innate wisdom that will beat Dr. Mike, Mark Hyman's wisdom every day mm-hmm. was trumped by a rule that was not from 
you. And it's a blend because for a lot of people listening, even for you guys, it sounds too good to be true and too simple. Wait, I get to get excited about what I put in the cart and I'm supposed to discard the rule. Aren't we rule-based? Like we know all this information about how we help ourselves live longer. It's a blend. And I'll say this for everyone listening. Jennifer has done it hardcore both ways and seen what moves the needle on helping people feel really good and then help people feel beat down, controlled, and confused by their food. And when you combine what you know and being curious and learning and research, the research we know now, and this idea that your body's on your team, it literally is on your team, and no no article, Mark Hyman, no one in the world can ever know what your microbiome is, where you came from, and what's going on. And when you actually slide over to the side of starting to trust yourself, it just exponentially pushes you forward towards creating a body you love and that feels good. That, but the rule that I would say you do want to be mindful of, I wouldn't tell you to eat the whole watermelon, (laughs) right? The mindfulness piece that should come in is how much of this is going to serve me, right? So cup, two cups, cups. the the piece that, the the layer to it is, yeah, you do need to tune in on when you need to stop and how much of that is serving you, right? For some people, it can be five bites of watermelon, right, when you really have tuned in. Oh, that, that's my limit. I know I start to get a little too spacey if I eat more than that. For some people, they could eat three cups, but in general, the, the awareness of the science piece and the rule piece is, okay, there are serving sizes, and to be mindful of them, but the serving size is not the rule. So you know in general that the data you see about watermelon is based on one cup. But I'm not telling you you should only eat one cup, but you should start to become more mindful when you've hit that point. Okay. Mm-hmm. And tuning in, is does this still taste good to me? Am I still enjoying this process or am I mindlessly eating this right now just because it's in front of me? Mm-hmm. Right, tune, staying in tune to the eating process because mindful eating is another piece to that, right? You eating, sitting down and putting back a whole watermelon, you're not going to feel the greatest after that. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's layers to it all. But. Yeah, there, there, there totally is, and I think there's, there, there's a healthy line that has to be drawn between enjoyment mm-hmm. and addiction. Yes. Right, and in an addiction, in my opinion, is is something that you're doing or you're consuming something to the point where you can't necessarily control the fact that that you're going to consume it. It's just you have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So. How do you avoid that? Or if you're at that point, how do you how do you uh, help yourself? Mm-hmm. Great question. I mean, do you want to jump in first? I feel I'm, like I'm doing. No, no, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm learning here. <laughs> well, so f- first of all, for any health coach or anyone working, like she said, where I started was taking the the rules that I learned from my schooling and giving them to people. And then making meal plans and realizing that by the end of it, I had them lose weight or I had them achieve their goal. But then the second they weren't working with me anymore, they were back to the 100% the same person than when they left. Mm -hmm. Because it was never about what was going on with them or what they needed and teaching them how to be self-resilient. My biggest goal in life is for you to get to the point where you no longer need me. Where you're going out there and you are doing it. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to hold my hand anymore. So with that being said, my first question, if someone says, I'm addicted to sugar, my first question would be, help me understand that. Why do you think that? Some will say, well, you know, I eat it all day long. 
Or some will say, well, every night at 9 o'clock at night, I'm in the pantry, and I'm just hunting down the chocolate chips. I hid them from myself, but I still go in there and I find them. And so then my next question would be, okay, well, when was your first meal of the day? The average answer I get is 2 p.m. Right? And then I go, okay, well, when did you eat again? Well, I had such a large meal at 2 p.m. that I didn't eat dinner. I had a tiny snack. A lot of times it's carrots and hummus, ironically enough, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I tried to distract myself by watching TV, and then two hours in, they're starving, but they're craving sugar, and they think they're addicted to sugar, when in fact the, the whole process of that belief system is that they're not nourishing themselves first thing and eating consistently to keep their blood sugar stable, to keep sugar cravings at bay. So we have been taught culturally to see sugar cravings as the devil. It's evil. When, when you look at it intuitively, we have to crave sugar in order for us to survive. It's the brain's fuel. In nature, it's one of the easiest things to find to make you keep be able to walk through the wilderness. So we're, like, we've evolved to have that craving. We've been taught to be fearful of that craving. So it's about empowerment around why are you having that craving? Are you actually wanting sugar? Which honestly, from my experience, is only a very small percentage of people. It's actually from a lack of nourishing ourselves well, lack of making a balanced meal, lack of eating consistently, and then they believe they're addicted to sugar because their body is desperate for fuel at 9 o'clock at night and they are tearing down the pantry for the chocolate chips. When in fact it has to start at, when did you get hungry this morning? When did you actually want to eat? And this is big, especially in women who have been taught, not eating is how you stay thin. Mm -hmm. Most of the women I work with are actually not achieving their health goals because they refuse to fuel themselves throughout the day. And then they are binging at night because they have gone all day starving themselves. That's incredibly interesting because I also think that that doesn't just um, happen with women. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that happens with, with everyone. Mm-hmm. There's men and women who have body image issues and mm-hmm. whatnot. And at one point, I was, I was there. I thought that following a super high-protein, low-calorie, low-carb diet was going to do it for me. And this mm-hmm. is when like, I was first starting to figure out you know, what to, what, what's good for me to eat, how to maintain my body and mm-hmm. and have the aesthetic uh, image that I that I was looking for and I ended up just being super tired all the time yeah I was I, I, I was sleeping I was mm-hmm. more upset and irritable irritable yeah right many women are irritable because they don't eat mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart because we have this stigma around oh don't get her mad but it's coming from a place of there is no fuel there to prevent that person from getting upset. Right. There's no brake system. There's nothing there to prevent getting raging mad about something that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, interesting that you're... But I love that you picked up on that because if you kept listening to the rules of keto's preventing metabolic disease, keto's going to keep you living until you're 100, yet you were not getting out of bed, you were exhausted, and you were irritable. So who you were in the world was not who you wanted to be. Correct. But you were going to be there until 100. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. See, pissed right? off. Yeah, <laughs> pissed off. Yeah. Right? And then we, we keep doing this because we don't 
give ourselves the time and the perspective to say, wait, is this serving me? Mm-hmm. Is this serving me? Right. I mean, we both did the keto diet because that, that's what we thought we needed to do in order to get over the basically the autoimmune response that was turned on in our body. We don't have autoimmune diseases, but we were at the first phase where you're seeing the markers, but it's not on, right? It's mm-hmm. coming on where they just tell you, oh, come back when it's on. Right. <laughs> terrible plan, <laughs> terrible plan. Um, thankfully, we were our own advocates and said, no, I don't want it to turn on. I don't want to own that diagnosis. That I don't want that identity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn that off. So what I would say is, we have to be able to self-reflect and ask, is this working? So we were doing the keto diet. We were hungry. Mm-hmm. We were snapping at each other. <laughs> People are like, you guys get along so well. So we were well, like, you didn't know us on the we keto diet. We were having <laughs> fights about things that we never fight about. Yeah. We were bickering nonstop. Mm-hmm. Really? And then finally one day we realized we do not have enough carbohydrates in our diet. We are arguing about things that we don't want to argue about and we until we took a a step back to say what has changed what is driving this behavior for us because outside sources said dude you guys are our sister you guys are bickering they had an intervention they're like okay we need to talk to you they were like you guys are bickering at each other all the time and they're like why Mm -hmm. because that wasn't our relationship and suddenly it was like what we thought was happening other people were noticing too, and suddenly it was this is really happening. And we so we had to look we, at we, we looked closer. at everything, and we changed our diet, and we we're no longer chopping each other's heads off because we we're like keto is not serving us. And honestly, for many women, keto does not serve them for that very reason. What I see with keto at first, if there's a lot of hormonal dysfunction going on, it can get the hormones at a good place. But again, the lack of pivot saying, okay, I got myself to this good place with my hormones, now I can bring good carbs back in, is then derailing that hard work, and suddenly then they're more anxious, they're more depressed, suddenly their hormones are going out of whack again, because, yeah, it's a great tool, but it's not a lifelong, sustainable way to eat. In my opinion, based on all of the women that I have worked with, and myself, (laughs) it's just not sustainable. Periods of time where you might need to push yourself into that, to get some wins, yes. But lifelong doing that, no. And the data's not there. I, what I always tell any woman sitting in front of me who's like, but, but everyone talks about it. There is not one study on the keto diet done on females. All of the data for the positive effects is based on males. Really? Yes. And, I, I, and this is why we do what we do because we're like, again, not a problem. That's, I don't care that it's only done on males. But you need to understand it's only done on males, which means you're not a small man. So that means these effects that you're feeling probably would show up if we did an all-female study doing a keto diet Mm -hmm. and how we would need to pivot it or change it, Mm -hmm. right? So it's just understanding the data you're using to to build your rule, where's the data coming from? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm always telling people to be aware of. Don't believe everything is the gospel. Try it on for size and see how it makes you feel. And if it's not working, don't be afraid to let it go. I have a question. Because um, you had talked about a couple of questions here, actually. So because you had talked about just being uh, having a reaction to the sun. Mm-hmm. So I have a question first of all about like your thoughts on just on light in general. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then also like now just like with circadian rhythms um mm-hmm. like eating according to like the light cycle mm-hmm. um even like i know there's a whole thing in science now about like time restricted uh feeding yep um like eating in a certain window every day um things like in- intermittent fasting mm-hmm. um yeah so that, i guess yeah i mean because i mean that it's all like light regulated mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i mean hearing you say that you are allergic to the sun like that's the first thing that came to my mind was just like wow like uh-huh. a major we, we need the sun right it's essential for vitamin d production and i couldn't go out in in it without one minute without my skin literally erupting into a rash but what I would say is in general, because we live in a world where we always have lights, we don't have our circadian rhythm anymore. This is why most people don't sleep, why we have massive issues with insomnia. But eating with your rhythm first is really key. So what I find with clients is most clients are not interested. They're not geeking out about the science, right? So if someone in their sphere of influence is not talking about the circadian rhythm, you're speaking gibberish to them because they're not in, that's not why they came to see you. So what I typically do with clients thinking about that is, okay, I need to work with changing your food to fit currently your circadian rhythm. It might not be the best circadian rhythm, but we've got to make it work for where you are now. So whether or not they're a night shift worker or if they're a mom that's waking up at five o'clock in the morning or someone who doesn't have to go into work until 10, it's helping them tune into their body and saying, when do you get hungry? That is the trump for any intermittent fasting, right? When do you get hungry? That is when you need to eat. And for some people, they, they are starving when they wake up, when they open their eyes. Okay, okay, you need to eat. But secondly, I also understand, okay, I need to talk to them about their blood sugar regulation. There could be some roller coastering going on, which is why they're binging awake starving. We'll work on that. But on the flip side, if we are following the natural circadian rhythm, we should be done eating by 6 or 7 at night. Naturally, we should have a 12 to 13 hour fast by the time we wake up in the morning if you have, you know, an optimal timing in life. But in general, if people just become mindful of when they eat dinner and shifting that back as needed to create a window that gives them a 12 hour fast, that to me is intermittent fasting win. And that for women is what serves them best. I see so many women who are doing the, oh, I don't eat until 2 o'clock in the afternoon because I'm doing the 16-hour intermittent fasting. And I go, well, how's that working for you? And they always focus on the weight loss piece. Oh, I, you know, I've lost 10 pounds. Um, but then I go, oh, okay, and, and how's your mood? Oh, it, wow, let me think. You know what? I have been more irritable lately. You know what? I've been kind of, you know, mad at my husband a lot. Wow, I'm yelling at my kids more making them process what what is happening with their mood. And I go, okay, I love that you understand the science behind intermittent fasting and why you need that or want to be doing that. But can I ask you to just eat your dinner by six? And then when you get hungry in the morning, when you wake up around six, seven, or eight, depending on that window, you eat when you do that and you see how that changes your mood and who you are as a person, but you're still getting a 12-hour fast. Anyone who does that, and understands, wow, naturally, if we were listening to our circadian rhythms, we're going by nature, we would all be intermittent fasting without any stress on the body. We should all be naturally intermittent fasting if we stop eating when we're supposed to and we eat when we're ready. We would all be doing it. But now 
we're telling people still eat at 10 o'clock at night and then tell you, drive yourself to not eat when you're hungry in the morning and shut that down and have stress hormones be released and go on adrenaline because you need to be intermittent fasting for this period of time when we naturally, if we were eating on a rhythm, we would be intermittent fasting. Yeah. So th- does that fully answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what Do I was... You, you said you've experimented with intermittent fasting? Um, so do I experimented with like window? hardcore with like keto. Um, okay. I feel like most times I, I do like pretty much intermittent fast. Um, like I don't usually, I mean, I my first meal of the day, depending on what time I stop eating. But I mean, I try to usually stop eating by like six, six or seven. Mm-hmm. And then I'll usually, sometimes I won't eat till 10 or, or even later than that. Sometimes like noon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like, I listen to my body. Yeah. So if I wake up and I'm starving, yeah. then I'll eat. Yeah. There's times where I wake up and I'm literally not hungry, You're so not I just hungry. don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I go through phases. Like I don't. It's not something I do completely all the time. Um, I mean, I guess I've been more fascinated because, like, I know like now like, the science, like longevity, like um, in mouse models, or whatever. Right. Like, it's only mice. In time restricted <laughs> feeding, um, like that's been shown to prove for like longevity purposes. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's just something that like I've been fascinated with. Um, but I also back to like the whole light thing because like that's another thing because like I was actually listening to something recently and and it's at 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 our basis we're um, biological beings and mm-hmm. it's like but we're powered by by physics which is light um, light water and magnetism is really what um, make makes a healthy human so I I feel like if you don't have like a, a good like light environment just like mm-hmm. if you're not outside in nature if you're not even like things like i do is like like grounding barefoot like yeah. um you're not charging your cells then i feel like a lot of times regardless of what you're putting into your body yes. like you can be feeding yourself the, the best gasoline in the world but if that engine's not running properly then it it's not going to do anything mm-hmm. so i feel like i feel like just simple things like that like being out in like natural light mm-hmm. um like I feel like we've been taught to fear the sun, and, and obviously, yes, you have to be smart about it. Yes, like you don't want to just go out. Like someone who you don't want to burn. No, exactly. But I I love being outside. Uh-huh. I spend a couple hours every day. Like n- usually not like at the high high time of it. Like I before I, before I came here, like I I was walking along the beach for I walked like five miles. Um, mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you just have to be smart. You have to, like, you develop, like, it's called, like, a solar callus. Um, you don't want to burn. Um, like, that's your body telling you get out of the sun. <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like, but most people are indoor, they live an indoor life. Yes. And then they go out on the weekend and go to the beach, and then they burn, and then they think that the sun is bad. Uh-huh. I mean, mm-hmm. like, there's, everything's in context. But I think also, I guess, that most modern lighting now, like, they talk about, it's all blue light. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you look at the sun as a vitamin, it has all of these rays like all across the electromagnetic spectrum that you're used to getting. Mm-hmm. But now everyone's spending most of their time indoors. They're only getting the blue light. So yeah. you have an excess of vitamin blue light and you're deficient <laughs> in everything else. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I guess that's something that like I've been really just kind of fascinated with lately. So um, I'm right there with you. And anyone who struggles with like adrenal fatigue and you can't get out of bed, you can't wake up the biggest thing you can do is even if you have to walk outside after you get to your job, you need to expose yourself to natural light because your pituitary gland needs to know that you're supposed to be awake. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of the adrenal fatigue issues that we have is because we wake up when it's dark, we drive to work, we walk into a dark building with false light, yeah. and our, our, the, our natural process of telling our bodies to be awake has been hijacked. And so if you don't, if, you, if that's you, if you're always in the dark technically, being mindful of saying, okay, it's six, seven, eight, I need to go outside at least for two minutes and, and get in the sun. So my brain knows you are supposed to be awake. You're not supposed to be sleeping. You don't need to be yawning right now and, and worn out and exhausted and turn your body on. So if I'm, if I'm a corporation or if I'm leading a, a business and I know that most of my employees are going to be inside most of the day and say I just happen to have a building that doesn't receive a lot of uh-huh. sunlight, what can I do to help my employees function better? Give them a 10-minute break when the sun has come up to go outside and be in the sun. Okay. Now, what if... I live in San Francisco or Seattle and the sun doesn't always come up. Right. You know, or, you know, it, it just, it's foggy. How, are there products that you've seen that are that are useful or? You can do a UVA light. Like you can, the sunlight lights. Mm-hmm. So we, we mostly think about them for SAD, so seasonal, seasonal affective disorder, where they tell you to get a, a light and look into it because you are sad literally because there's not as much sun. Right. You could have three or four of those that people can go and sit in front uh-huh. of and like, get the basically the imitation of the sun. Right. Yeah. So if you get really bad sad, one, you either need to move and live somewhere where there's a lot of sun, like I did, <laughs> or you need to invest in something like that light because it's it's limiting who you are, right? It's just... You get sad when you don't have as much sun, so you need to help yourself. Here's what's so cool about this conversation and what I hope people listening hear is that if you walked into a lot of doctors, they would tell you you have sad and they might put you on a mild antidepressant or give you some prescription, and that's the end of the conversation. When in fact, if you know something about yourself that's dysfunctional or not leading to you living your most impactful life, there's so much you can research and do. Like, it's not that hard to get a light and look into the light uh-huh. and lift the They're symptoms. not that expensive. Like, the labels we put on ourselves through the medical system, they are not permanent. You can choose to do so much about it. Like, I know Alex has done research. You've done research. And if you're open-minded about what you're reading, you can allow your body to be supported and heal in so many ways. Like, ditch the label. So <laughs> what you... Before you had your spider bite and after you had your spider bite, what what changed about you? Like, what, what information did you think was, was right? And then how did that change for you after you had this whole autoimmune issue? Kind of something along the lines of what we're talking about now, um, that it wasn't just food or prescription that would fix me. I had, because I knew Jennifer, who's a nutritionist, up until before that spider bite, I I was, yeah, (laughs) yeah, right? I feel so lucky. I get free consults every day. Um, When I got the spider bite, because of what it drove in my body, that level of allergic reactions, Um, it opened my eyes forever to the fact that everything affects us. Mm -hmm. My immune system was being driven not just by the clothes I was wearing, but even like indoor air. Mm -hmm. The air quality, I started to get like a respiratory chronic infection like in my lungs, switching to a really, really good air purifier. We live in LA, we're here in LA. Smog is a real thing. And if you look up the statistics for how much smog will um, cut your life expectancy, it's actually radical and the thing is you can you can just get 
an air purifier for your bedroom where you sleep and your body repairs at night and you can lift that burden. And so that's one example of like, I had this mindset of I can use food or I can go to the doctor. And then all of a sudden it was like, it tore the blinders off my eyes that every single day there are things that help us or harm us. And we can be empowered by that, not scared of it. Because you get to this point where people are like, you're going to be bubble boy. You're never going to go outside. <laughs> and you're not going to walk on the beach because the air might not be clean enough, whatever. And that's true. You can take it to extreme where you become a bubble boy. Or you can take it to extreme of like, I'm kind of aware of the burdens on my body today. And I can manage them in a way that keeps it at a level that my body can still continue to operate at a high level. Does that make sense? That makes mm-hmm. It's awareness totally, yeah. of the impact on what's happening to us. And what impacts you might not impact her. Mm -hmm. We're sisters. What makes her feel terrible versus me? Drastically. There is no correlation. Yeah, there's no correlation. (laughs) But just knowing knowing your health and and the diagnosis that you have or don't have, but how you feel, the symptoms that tend to crop up, and what might be better associated with that than something else. Mm -hmm. Right. For lack of a better example of people being obsessed about skipping PBA, free cans which technically speaking the pba free ones aren't technically better but do you know if you have like a heavy metal issue or if you have symptoms associated with heavy metals that's not your win right you suddenly becoming anxious about buying a can that could have pba in it is completely different than for someone else so what what we always say is knowledge is power and does that knowledge make an impact on you when when you hear someone talking about it do your ears perk up or do your eyes roll back into the back of your head? And I say, you know, maybe it's not that that information isn't useful. It just might not be serving you right now. And At you need to level. take the information where your ears perk up and say, oh, an air purifier was what I need. Yeah, I don't need bedroom. to be that skipping cans that have potentially a chemical in them that could be bothering me. Right. Yeah. So that's how I, I, say, I always tell people, you're in, in charge of your health. That's why we say you are your health advocate. You are in charge. We're giving you the power. We're giving you information. We're giving you explanations for things. We're giving you things you get to try on and see if they work for you. But you are the one that ultimately decides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, that alone and the examples you provided are, are part of the reason why I am so set on mindset and thought process, right? Because just like you mentioned, you hear information and you could just roll your eyes <laughs> Because you, quote unquote, know it. Yeah. Um, or you could become curious and not not uh, agree or disagree and just look more into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that's kind of, that, that's the approach that I've taken, mm-hmm. more or less. It's, it's everything that I hear will take the air purifier. Mm-hmm. Um, that, this is the first time I've heard about that, right? And mm-hmm. someone could be listening to this and be like, well, yeah, duh, idiot. Uh-huh. <laughs> get an ear, ear you haven't had a chance to or, hear it up until this point or someone might be like me listening to this and be like huh okay yeah I haven't heard about that either that's interesting um, I'm gonna look into that yeah mm-hmm. you know um, or you could have the third person who just said huh, air purifier nope nope uh-huh. yes and yes. guess what they probably have great lungs <laughs> I'm not kidding their lungs they pop those things out and it just it, it exits your body perfectly and so it's a zero to your brain because your brain knows your lungs are fine mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that and yeah it is about being open to listening and trying things on for size uh-huh. right yeah because that's what i see with uh, all the time with health oh i'm gonna do it this way 
teach me how to do it, and that's where my success is going to happen. Mm-hmm. When it, it might be the worst thing for you, but because you rigidly believe this one thing or this one way is where it's happening, then you're not listening to any other schools of thought. You're not trying to figure out where other data is coming from. You're just locked in. Yeah. Well, it, so there's someone close to me who went vegetarian and um, thought that you know their health was going to dramatically change and it was yeah. going to be better for them, and it did. It changed them, and it did seem better for a little while, but then over time, it really hurt that person, mm-hmm. and like he couldn't figure out why, so he started including fish back into his diet, mm-hmm. and he started feeling great again, yeah. you know, and then occasionally, like, he'll... He'll eat meat. He's not going to eat it all the time, but right. sure, like he'll he'll have a burger, at, like once a month or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then and now his he's back to full vitals and he's feeling great. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing with the meat conversation. You say you eat meat, and suddenly everyone's visualizing meat Turn on more. your plate every meal, every snack. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just you're eating meat all the time when it's just a component of your diet. Yeah, it's and- not making up the. You know what I mean? Like, that's the big fight. And it's like, when someone says that, it doesn't mean that they're over-consuming meat. I feel like the people who are against meat are the ones who, like, they, they, they once they hear it, they see you, like, taking your neighbor's dog. And just, like, <laughs> like ripping I, it open and eating it. And it's like, no, whoa, hold on. Uh-huh. Like, that's not what's going on here. Right. But I think because often that choice is driven from the moral issue of they're choosing not to eat meat for animals. It is more or less like a religion. That, and that's what needs to be separated. You can be choosing to do something for moral reasons. I have my own faith, but I'm not telling you you need to have my faith or you need to have my faith. But the vegan diet, technically speaking, is a moral choice. Mm. But, and they're saying that everyone needs to take on that moral choice despite whether or not they believe it or not. We and we need a religious to, argument. We don't necessarily recognize that the tension with the vegan argument often comes because it's that place. You clearly are unmoral mm-hmm. if you eat. They meat. do think you're a terrible person. They th- they think they're morally superior for making that choice, despite you know not understanding all the ways the world is impacted by choices. You know, you can be buying clothes that are have people in sweat factories and they're not getting paid anything and you're you're putting your dollars towards something that's morally not good right but they see their one choice of avoiding meat as superior and so they do think that they're that's why it's pointless to argue if someone's all the way to that point because they're they're in it i don't waste time arguing with someone that doesn't actually want to hear my perspective, but also does not acknowledge that nutritionally it has not been proven to work long term. Right? Anyone who's running around saying that it's been proven that the vegan diet is better, they're not actually sitting in PubMed. Right? That that doesn't exist. There's no proof that a vegan diet is more superior. There's studies that are looking at specific disease states or things where maybe vegan or vegetarian diet might be more helpful, but then that's also not taking in all the variables that play into that. Oftentimes, you know, there's people in the study that never work out. There's people in the study that never sleep, right? Where the problem with nutrition studies and how we have to do it is we're trying to narrow it down to a specific nutrient or thing, but where we don't live in a bubble. 
right? So we're all making choices all day long, whether or not we're moving, how are we sleeping, what is our job, what do we do, and that is not taken into account with any nutritional study. The other variables are not there. So something can seem like it's this perfect thing and the reason why, but when you zoom out and say, what else did the participants do in the study? What else could have brought this result besides just taking away meat? More often than not, there are variables there that would explain, oh, that besides this could definitely be the contributor. So what I would say is, to me, I'm not trying to change someone's mind. I'm just trying to say we should all agree that everyone should feel good in their bodies. And so if someone doesn't feel good to say and look at them, oh, you just didn't do it right. But believe me, people in the carnivore diet do the same thing. On the, or the paleo, they do the same extreme. Oh, you just didn't do it right. When in fact, no, they did it right. It just right. didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, sorry about that. Wait, hold on. Just... I mean, there is one thing that I'll say that like uh, on the vegan side, um, like that gets shown in all these documentaries that basically... I do think there's a serious problem with, like, in our country, how, like, the, the whole factory feedlot, like, with, with the way we grow our meat. Oh, um, it's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, um, like, I, I see that, like, as morally wrong, too. Um, but, but I mean, obviously, I agree 100% with the fact that just the, the science behind it, it's like, you mm-hmm. watch the documentaries and there's, I mean. Yeah, we have to start being able to separate, um people who do have values with their food or you're allowed to have food values Mm -hmm. and so you valuing putting your time and money towards making sure you're you're choosing meat that's coming from a a grass-fed source that's coming from someone who cares how it was raised someone who cares how it was slaughtered versus buying into the factory farming that's two different things and again that's just being able to have bigger conversations of saying yeah. well i'm not i'm not supporting that right i'm not putting my hard-earned dollars towards a system of factory farming that i think is disgusting too and nor is it making anyone healthy that is not healthy meat right yeah. that's the even bigger conversation nutritionally it's not nutritionally dense meat because of how it's raised and yeah. how we do it so a thousand percent, I agree that we need to change how we are producing food. But in order to change that, we all actually have to work together. We have to yeah. get yeah, more well, on the same team. <laughs> yeah, so it has to be us as yeah. consumers. Like, yeah. we're the ones who have to actually go out and, and ask for that. Stop, yes. stop buying that conventional. Yes. Um, it's the same with the organic and non-organic. I mean, there's mm-hmm. such a difference in the quality of nutrients mm-hmm. that you can get from an organic food versus non-organic. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, same with grass-fed versus conventionally raised like mm-hmm. like we as consumers are the ones who have to to make that change mm-hmm. like we have to demand it mm-hmm. we do we have to vote with our dollars you it, can see the trend it's really encouraging because we've been on this journey for a really long time mm-hmm. so when we started um you know it was not possible to get an organic labeled thing in a ralph's or costco mm-hmm. or any major grocery store you're whole foods going alone. to a mar- farmer's yeah. market or a whole foods and now it's everywhere and granted that is kind of a little bit shifting the quality which is another conversation but the only reason you're seeing that expansion is because of the consumers voting with their dollars there's money mm-hmm. there yeah. there's legitimate money there and they know it and so then it creates change and it's exciting because it shows you that the consumer does have power mm-hmm. and yeah. it's good 
But on the flip side, I always tell people if if choosing organic versus non-organic is preventing you from eating vegetables, please just get the vegetables. Please just get the vegetables. <laughs> They're a win no matter what is on them because mm-hmm. right now we just don't eat them. I When I bring people on, I ask them a couple questions and mm-hmm. I am super interested into about who your mentors were growing up and um, what books you're reading or what books you might recommend. So whoever wants to, Alex, why don't you lead off because you've got to go here pretty soon. Mentors growing up? Um, I don't know. That's a tough question. So I guess I'm really now, like obviously I've been to really big into health and wellness, but then I'm really big into like, we've been talking about this whole time is like mindset. Um, because that was like one thing with my father, just never, never being able to actually change the way he thought. Um, and then mm-hmm. all the, just like behavior change. So I'm, I'm really big into like the psychology aspect of it too. So someone who like, I, I'm really like, I guess look up to, I mean, it would be Tony Robbins, like, um, like attending some of his seminars, reading some of his work, like just being able to just change the way we think. Um, and really learn to, to run our, our minds in a more like productive, conducive manner. So I'm, like, I, that's, I feel like, I mean, I feel like it all starts here. So it's like, if you're, if your software isn't running properly, then mm-hmm. nothing else is going to run. So I feel like, uh, I mean, that's someone who I really look up to. Um, I mean, I guess being passionate about functional medicine, there's like, I can name probably like 10, 15 doctors. Um, like I, I love reading all those books. Uh, hope I mean I can I can just name a whole bunch of like doctors, nutritionists, all that. But um, well, give us like three or four of your favorite books. Um, so I do like uh, Max Lugavere, like his book uh, Genius Foods. Um, mm-hmm. I don't he doesn't have a book yet, but uh, Chris Masterjohn, uh, somebody that I like listening to. Um, and there's another guy who who fascinates me, uh, Stephen Guillenay. He wrote a book called like Hungry Brain. It's about how, yeah, um, basically how our brain overrides everything. Uh, it's another like really fascinating book. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just really anybody who's trying to make this world a better place for for people, like I, I really look forward, look up to. Um, and what was the, you had one more question? Uh, no, that was it. Mentors and, and what books you're reading or, or that you might might recommend. Oh, yeah, I guess I mean, I guess that was it. Yeah. So. Well, Al- that, that's a wrap on Alex. He's got to get out of here. It was, uh, it was really great to have it. It was awesome being on this. I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, uh, it was so much I'm, fun. I felt like I could have sat here for <laughs> another day or so and just kept talking. So <laughs> thanks for uh, having me on. No, thanks for coming, Alex. Appreciate that. Yeah, right. I think it's been a good conversation, though, because Alex, even you, you guys are, you're curious guys. Mm-hmm. You ask questions. And I would say that's always been a driver in the mentors that I've had is people who ask really good questions. And that's because I'm kind of an impulsive, um, kind of happy-go-lucky person by nature. Mm-hmm. And then I it takes being surrounded by people who ask the but why. I am actually not an inclined to ask but why. Jennifer is more of the but why, uh-huh. which is why we're a great balance. And so I love that both of you have that quality. And I would say that mentors in my life who have really pushed me forward are the ones who get me to ask better questions. Um, I started When I started training for yoga, it was just this 
this mindset of yoga is movement and I learned all the yoga poses and just how to sequence as an instructor and it was kind of like becoming a regular RD where you just learn that you should eat protein, fat, and carbs. And then all of a sudden I realized that we don't move our bodies in a really diverse way that keeps us with all the functionality that we're born with. So we're kind of eating that, like we're starving ourselves. And the two people that really had that conversation well, um, Gary Kraftstow, he does a form of yoga called Vinny Yoga. And then a woman called Katie Bowman, she writes a blog. She's like legit amazing. Yeah, Mooger DNA. She's incredible because Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense. She dials really, really complex anatomical things down into like the layperson's language. And she's changed my life with how I'm able to work with clients because Mm -hmm. I no longer see just prescribing some rote yoga poses to people i see this idea of using movement to transform bodies and get it back to full functionality so if you ever have the chance to read a blog or read a book by katie bowman i cannot recommend it highly enough you will never look at your feet the same way again Uh. (laughs) because they're the foundation of your body and and i'm gonna say this and i truly genuinely mean it one of my mentors is jennifer because again she forces me to ask different questions and i feel like the just the most blessed person in the world that I got this as a sister and she's really helped me grow and fight for myself and then by default be able to fight for other people too Mm -hmm. oh thanks but I would say the same thing about Hath because she she's the one that always is telling me no you have something that you need to say how you process information and how you learn to interpret it and how you have learned to help people other people need to hear that and so she's the reason why (laughs) she won't let me be quiet because if I didn't have her I would just be reading and learning and yeah I would be making my impact with my clients but I would not be trying to put it out there on a larger platform so it's all because of her and I would say a big influence for who I am was my mentor as far as functional nutrition Um, she she just told me one, one size does not fit all, and that was impactful to me, but also listen to what they're saying and really try and work with the person instead of just trying to do what you think will fix it. What do they think will fix it? Because when someone is empowered to make that decision themselves, that's when they'll actually execute it. But then she also completely shifted on my head how I view health and wellness and nutrition. She just opened a whole new world of how you can use supplements and vitamins and food and lifestyle choices to mm-hmm. completely change your life, even further than what I gotten through a master's. And so to be able to blend those, that, I would say that, that made me a completely different dietitian and made me bold enough to go out on my own. And then the big, as far as books go, I think everyone should read Intuitive Eating mm-hmm. by Evelyn Trouble. And it's, even if you don't fully 100% agree with everything in there, it can be life-changing as far as how you help people process the patterns that they're doing or how they're, they're using food in ways that aren't serving them. So I really think everyone should read that book. I also think as far as a simple basic place to start for understanding the impact of food, it is not the perfect book, but it's a simple book to understand, is It Starts With Food by Melissa Hartwig and Dallas Hartwig because they really break down why do these certain foods matter more than others and why might certain foods bother you more than others. But I do not believe it's the lifestyle you should be 
working towards or achieving. It's just about if you want to understand how food is impacting you, it's a really easy book to read and for most people to understand. And then last but not least, I would recommend reading um, The Circadian Rhythm so that you start to you yourself understand how the sun is impacting you, like kind of like how we were talking about, but also how your choices of staying up until two o'clock in the morning or not making a bedtime pattern or how your your morning starts is actually impacting you in ways that you don't even know until you know, right? I always tell people, you don't know until you know, but as long as you stay curious and you want to learn, then it can be life-changing. Mm-hmm. So give yourself grace for what you don't know though. Now, where can where can all of you be found, Alex? Where where can you be found? Um, I'm just on uh, Instagram at Alex Rorkin. Um Actually, uh, in the process of building my my website, so That's I have to, to get back to you on that. Mm-hmm. But right. um, and then also, yeah, uh, creating a blog too. So, how, how do you spell how do you uh, spell your name or your Instagram handle? Oh, at A L E X R O E R T G E N. Awesome. Heather? Um, you can find me on Instagram um, at Heather Young Yoga, but more of my content is actually on our business handle at She Changes Everything. And then the website is the same address, shechangeseverything.com. And I think that's a really good place to head to start because we have a, a PDF that's going up there on just the top, simple, immediate things you can do to be your own best health advocate, and it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can find me at She Changes Everything, um, and then the website is shechangeseverything.com, and then my personal Instagram is Jennifer Klutz, and that's spelled K-L-O-T-Z, and then underscore R-D. Wow. So first and foremost, I want to thank all of you for coming on the podcast, and this turned out to be exactly what I thought it was going to be, (laughs) just a super productive conversation on health, wellness, and life in general, and one of the one of the things that I'm always told or that I learned when I was growing up was never be the smartest person in the room. And mm. I'll tell you what, I'm not even the fourth smartest person in the room. <laughs> and, and there's only four of us here. Uh, this, this was so um, just it, it, everything that all of you talked about that we talked about um, was amazing for me to hear. And hopefully it's going to be amazing for, you know, the audience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I can't, uh, say thank you enough for, for being here and sharing all Mm -hmm. of that wonderful Mm -hmm. information with, with me and, you know, whoever's going to be listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I sincerely, sincerely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having us on Uh and giving us the opportunity and having this conversation. It was a lot of fun (laughs) to be able to talk to all of you. No, we'll all never think of broccoli and hummus the same way. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to throw cheese on it just like that. Yes. Can't wait. Yes. Send me a picture. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to provide some insight and some knowledge that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your life. Now, you've already done more than enough by listening to the podcast, but if you want to go above and beyond and really help me, you can subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is for podcasts. This will ultimately help me grow, and that's what we're all about here. So I am really looking forward to the next time that I get to spend time with you on the podcast. And until then, stay extraordinary.